Good morning and welcome to the podcast. So glad you're listening today. And uh, if you got your Bibles, we're going to go all over the place today. So try to keep up. Best you do with this podcast today is to take notes. Take notes of all the scripture references that I cite. And then go back and look them up yourself. Take some time to ponder, meditate on what I'm about to share with you. So by the end of this podcast, there's something that you can take and chew on for a while. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the energy of God. And before you say, oh goodness, Bill's gone new age. No, it's not the new age. It's all scripture. The word energy is throughout the Bible. Unfortunately, the word energy is translated as a lot of other things. Effects, work, doing, operation. It's amazing what we've done with the Greek word energia and all the varieties of it. And so today we're going to discuss and talk a little bit about what it means when we have the power of God working in and through us. We're not just working to impress God. We're not just doing things where God can stand back and applaud our efforts. No, we do things partnering with God. And Him working in and through us is how everything really gets done. Otherwise, you can take credit for it, and you can take pride in what you do. But the reality is, is everything we do, we do with God, and therefore, it produces not pride, but gratitude in us. And that that posture of gratitude is the healthiest place we can be in spiritually. So I pray that God just enlightens your mind and your heart today by the power of his Holy Spirit as we dive into this teaching on the energy of God. You know, what is probably one of the most beautiful and fundamental ideas to grasp for humanity is how to live in this union, integrated and entwined with, with the Lord. Invite Jesus to come into your heart as a child. We wonder what in the world that means. It means just that. It means that there's no distance and separation between you and God. The Bible tells us that he holds all things together. And yet, Romans says he's revealed by his creation. But what he's revealed in, the creation and the world around us, can also obscure him. And so if all we see is the creation and we ignore God, then it's like worshiping the creation, ignoring the creator. It's a constant challenge for us to understand that the physical world is an evidence of God. It's not meant to obscure him. Okay, so it's often said that there's no time and space or distance or progression with God. For God lives in one eternal now. And in him we experience uh, uh, that that oneness, that it's all right now, as many have said. Uh, that might seem incredibly mystical to say and consider, but the greater mystery lies in the story that you and I are living. Uh, think of it like this. When Jesus said of himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, you wonder where's room for me anywhere in this story? Well, it's where we're living right now in the middle. He has the beginning and the end of the story covered, but in the middle, you and I get this beautiful grace gift of the ability to choose salvation in every decision we make. And we can create, we can work, we can love, we can live for ourselves and for others. God gives us incredible freedom in this this middle here. Our ability to choose pretty much anything doesn't mean that God is blessing every choice we make, but he gives us the ability to make them. And in making choices, we can make mistakes. And in those mistakes, often we find consequences. And in those consequences, we find judgment, guilt, and shame. And then we begin to discover the surrender to the redemptive grace 
of God found in Christ. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And that is it brings us back to this revelation that, that the love of God has a way of cleansing us, covering, cleansing us from all sin. So in this middle, we make room for God, hopefully. Uh, that's why you're listening to this podcast, because somewhere in the middle, you made a choice to somehow make room for God. So here you are listening to me. Yet he is always, no matter what we choose, continually holding us together in him. Now walk with me just a little bit. One area where a revelation of union challenges our perspective and might perhaps even fix it is this. Most every Christian divides between the spiritual world and the physical world, just as I have done with that sentence. And yet, most every Christian will say God is omnipresent. We're not typically used to picturing God as present in our everyday world. That is present everywhere and filling all things, just as the early Christians prayed. But the idea of God pervading creation and permeating all that exists is all over the Bible. Let me give you some examples. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Through Christ are all things, and through him we exist. Isaiah 6, 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Jeremiah 23, 24. This is God speaking. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. Deuteronomy 4, 39. The Lord is in heaven above and all the earth beneath. Ephesians 1, 23. Christ fills all in all. Uh, Ephesians 4, 6, the God and Father of all is above all and in all and through all. Ephesians 4, 10, Christ ascended that he might fill all things. Colossians 1, 17, in Christ all things hold together. In Colossians 3, 11, Christ is all and in all. Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. And one of my favorites, Psalm 139, 7, David says, where do I go to get away from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? That's really important at this point uh, to understand what I'm saying here. This isn't pantheism where we find God inside of a tree, so we worship the tree. The idea of union and omnipresence carries this significant awareness that God, at the very same time, fills, holds all things together, and yet exceeds everything that he fills and holds together. Jack Taylor used to say he's imminent, transcendent, and transforming of all things. So we look at the creation around us, we see God but we don't worship the creation. We love and appreciate the creation. We honor the creation, but we worship the creator. And yet, in all of this, we still remain stuck in this dualistic mindset when it comes to spirit and physical. We picture the things, at least the way I see it, we picture the things of the spirit as holy more holy and kept out of reach from us on some higher level as if we're all children looking longingly into the top shelf of a closet that we can't even get to. But when we get a revelation of union and it truly touches our lives, then we become open to the realization that miracles still happen. And the physical world that you and I live in is a gift and it's worth cherishing. And we begin to find evidences of the holy all around us. We, we discover that we're part of this creation. So then disciplines of the body, such as prayer and fasting, can actually bring healing to us and strengthen us. 
We find it in communion when we take the bread and the wine. You ever think about this? Jesus, when he held up the bread and the wine, he said, this is my blood and this is my body. And, you know, in the Catholic tradition, they call it transubstantiation, where the bread and the wine actually become the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. And for Protestants, that sounds really, really spooky. But I want you to see this, that, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And the same words, the same power in the words that created the universe by saying, let there be light, said, this is my blood, this is my body. Now stop and think about it like this. So, wow, that, that seems, that, I, I can't even wrap my mind around that. What he's inviting us into is to step beyond the veil of separation between the spiritual and the physical and realize that our entire life is spiritual spiritual first. So let me get kind of, hopefully you don't stumble over what I'm about to say, but hopefully it it inspires an awareness of the presence of the Lord throughout your day. I want you to consider this. Every time you breathe, you breathe Christ. Every time you eat, especially in communion, you receive Christ. There's an Orthodox prayer recorded somewhere in the fifth century spoken over mealtime that simply says this, pass through me for the right ordering of all of my members. Think about that. What an incredible awareness of the presence of God. You're not just eating to get full. In every action we do throughout the day, there is an awareness that it, it's worship. It's, it's our interacting with the holy. There's a a word in Greek in the New Testament that's translated as partakers. It actually speaks of consuming something as if like food. And there are five things in the New Testament, the New Covenant, that tell us that we are to feast on, in a sense, of partaking. Here's some things that we're partaking of. Number one, we're partaking of grace. Philippians chapter 1 verse 7 says, Paul said, it's only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. Philippians 1.7 there. We're also partakers, second thing, of the promise. This is, this is our, our, our buffet, by the way. Grace and the promise. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 6 says to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We're also partakers of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6 4 speaks of those who have been enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Fourth thing, we're partakers of the glory that is to be revealed. First Peter chapter five, verse one. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Finally, in second Peter one, four, we're partakers. And this is the one everybody knows of the divine nature. Peter said this, for by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises, so by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. 
Lust refers to all the things that we do that we do selfishly without any regard for the things of God at all. In other words, lust is exercised every time you live ignorant of the presence of God. And we live just for ourselves. Okay, now, as if the idea of having a relationship with God isn't difficult enough to grasp and wasn't the highest quest of the human life, check this one out. A life of communion and the revelation of that that partaking, as some traditions call it the Eucharist, as our life. That partaking that I'm speaking of here takes us beyond simply having a relationship with God. We partake of him. Think about that. This can change your life if you let it. So there is no longer any distance or separation between your ordinary physical life and the presence of God. This was a teaching of Athanasius on the incarnation. He said that Christ brought us healing by entering human life. There's a revelation of divine healing that can be found in a life of communion. Not just the act of communion, but a life of communion, I believe, is one of the ways that we can learn to walk in divine wholeness and health. A hundred years uh, prior to Athanasius, St. Arius said that Jesus Christ, he did this, said he recapitulated the battle between light and darkness. And what Jesus did in entering the story of humanity is he retraced the steps of humanity and succeeded where man had failed. This isn't substitutionary atonement. This is substitutionary salvation. Here's the difference. Jesus Christ is the substitute, our substitute, in the battle against the devil. Just as David represented the entire Israel nation in one combat moment against Goliath, so Christ substitutes for us, not to satisfy our debt or receive our punishment, but he substitutes as our champion on the battlefield, fighting a fight you and I never have to fight and obtaining a victory that's just as much yours as it is his. His victory is your inheritance. I love what, uh, what my friend Dub Alexander said the other day, we don't inherit a battle from the cross of Jesus Christ. We inherit a victory. And that is so true. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, talked of, of that, that uh, integration with the life of Christ like this. He says, for in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. So just in case you think you're outside of the realm of the victory of Christ, that salvation and grace isn't for you, you are absolutely invited to be a partaker. There's a seat at the table for you if you'll just simply receive it. It belongs to you. Jesus paid for it. And it's there to welcome you home to the heart of the Father. So the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God becoming flesh, it was the introduction of God into human life, but it goes both ways. His incarnation is our gateway into the very life of God. Now, there's two words, and this is what I started the podcast with today, so we'll get to it now. There's two words that we can use to describe a relationship with God. One is the word essence, and the other is the word energy. The word essence is the word ousia in Greek, and the word energy is energia. 
And this is also how we know each other as human beings. Now, follow with me here because this is a powerful thought, and this could really transform your day and every day beyond this. Our common essence as human beings is just our nature, characterized in in things like reason, uh, memory, uh, things that have happened to us that we recall, imagination, our ability to create with our mind, and will, the choices that we make. So these traits of human essence are what unite us with each other. And yet, we are each a distinct individual person, though united in essence. And don't let this become too complicated. Follow with me. It'll make sense in a second. And the reason that we're all individuals, even though we share an essence, is we all exercise all of those traits in a unique and different way. For example... It's impossible to know somebody, truly know somebody from the outside as much as they know themselves on the inside. I mean, does anybody really, really know you? A lot of you think, oh my goodness, if you really knew me, you wouldn't want to hang out with me. Or maybe you would want to hang out with me. That's Who knows? Because we can't see what you see when you look inside of yourself. But when you're with a person... You don't just experience the traits of their essence. What you're actually experiencing is something much deeper. The energy of their spirit. It is our energy that expresses our reason, memory, imagination, and will. It's our energy that expresses that essence. I understand this might be difficult to grasp, but let me just make this really simple. For example, my wife, Tracy, I know Tracy and I know she loves tea. I, I can't, I can't explain to you her passion about tea. It's more than just essence. There's an energy about it. When she talks about iced tea, when Texans in general talk about iced tea, there's something that just, it, it, it's like, it's like a Christian talking about Jesus. There's a light that comes on in their eye. Uh, I, I can see the, the passion, reason, imagination, and heart behind it. And when I hear her words and watch her countenance, the energy that reveals the essence of who she is and what she does communicates something to me that's deeper than words. And I begin to appreciate what she appreciates. Now, I can't know Tracy's essence simply just by observation. I actually have to get close enough to experience the energy that reveals the essence, all right? Let's apply this to God. The Trinity, for example, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share a common essence. And it's beyond the realm of human comprehension just by observations. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So can we know the essence of God? Well, this is what we can know. We can read the scriptures, We can look at the ways of God down through history as other people have experienced him, and we can observe it in the Bible. But to truly know God, I have to know him by the Spirit. That is by the energia, the energy. That is the awareness of the presence of God that goes just beyond thought. You're actually having an experience right now, not just a thought about God, but it's actually engaging with God. It's it's to be engaged with him and aware of his activity and presence that permeates and overflows in the earth. Let me say this as strongly as I possibly can. Human beings, especially Christian human beings, we are obsessed with the essence of God, how he reasons, what he imagines, his traits, his decisions. 
but what we are actually invited into experiencing in the Holy Spirit is an encounter with the very energy of God, the very life of God. Now, let me say, this is not just some new age weirdness here. That's not what I'm talking about. This isn't new agey. The word energy is all over the Bible. And yet it's often translated as operation, effect, doing, or work. And how would it change the way you see and look at the word energy if you actually saw it every time the Greek word energia was there? I'm going to read a few things for you, but let me give you an idea of what I'm doing here. And hopefully this will help you. <clears throat> I'm going to read a scripture the way it appears in our Bible in English. And then I'm going to read it with the word energy in there. Uh, and, and let's just see how it sounds when we input the energy words there instead, because that's what the original language here was. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 6 in your English Bible says, There are varieties of effects or works, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But the Greek word energia is in this verse in two forms, and it's translated as effects and works. So let's see how it sounds when we just input the energy words in there instead. Does it change the way we see it, and does it clarify some things for us? Here's 1 Corinthians 12, 6. There are varieties of energies, but it's the same God that energizes them all and everyone. Oh, see, now it's not you being responsible for doing the work. It's God empowering. He's, he's the nuclear dynamo. You're just plugging into him. Oh, this makes sense now, right? Let me read a few more for you. Galatians 2, verse 8, with the energy words applied. He who energized through Peter for the mission to the circumcised energized me also for the Gentiles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, you accepted the gospel as what it really is, the word of God, which is energizing in you believers. Colossians 1, 29, for this I toil, striving according to the energy of him energizing in me with power. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, God is energizing in you both to will and to energize for his good pleasure. James 5, 16, you know it as the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much? It's the energy word. It says the energizing prayer of a righteous person has great strength. And this is not just about work or operation. You say, how in the world did we come to this place where we don't use the energy word? Well, we can thank Latin for replacing energy with operation. The early church uh, did everything they did for God, not because it was an operation of their own flesh. Uh, the early church did everything they did because they plugged into the energy behind the essence. When we study the essence of God but refuse to engage with the energy of God, we end up describing God in words when he wants to take us into an experience that words can't describe. That's an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's an encounter with the life-imparting energy of God. How many of you need more energy today? It's a biblical principle, and it, it empowered and fueled the early church just as it can fuel us today. Here's another word that we have translated as work or workers. It's the Greek word synergos, from where we get the word synergy. Our union with God 
could probably be best understood if we read synergy instead of work. Let's do what we did earlier with the energy word. Let's attach synergy to some, some verses here and bring the original out and see if it doesn't make more sense. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says, We are God's synergizers. How about that? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and verse 2. Timothy is God's synergizer in the gospel of Christ. James uh, 2.22, when Abraham offered his son Isaac, faith synergized his works. Mark 16, verse 20, the disciples preached everywhere. The Lord synergized and confirmed their message. Now, for new or Christic covenant believers, we need to understand synergy. Otherwise, we'll continue to believe the idea that the energy of God is out of reach and can't be experienced. So then we'll continue to argue about his essence, which is what people do online all the time. Synergy with the energy of God is what gives us the ability to share in the life and activity of God himself. We experience and we participate with and in him every day, everywhere, always. And here's one of the most beautiful realities of this revelation. When we walk in synergy with the energy of God, it unveils his essence to us. And yet, in him, you never stop being you. Living in union with God doesn't make you just a drop in the ocean where you just disappear. You look around the creation, you discover God loves variety, uniqueness, and distinction. Even the things God repeats are unique in their repetition, like sunrises and sunsets, waves and snowflakes. And when you and I cross the threshold of this human lifespan and step fully beyond the veil into eternity, you will still be you. St. Macarius of Egypt of the 4th century said this, Peter is Peter, Paul is Paul, all are plunged in light and fire, yet are not turned into fire with nothing of their natural substance left. Each of us remains in his own nature and personality, though filled with the Spirit. If you ever looked at a stained glass window in a cathedral and you notice how the figures in the glass are unique, and distinct, yet the thing that illuminates them all is one source of light. Think of the church, you and I, as the stained glass artwork of God who's shining through us makes us more distinct as he himself becomes more radiant. He has no interest in annihilating your sense of humor or erasing your personality. Your uniqueness will shine in God in all of his clarity and glory as he radiates through you. Now, the study of God is called theology, and the appearance of God is called theophany, but there's a word for your union with God, and our increasing awareness of union with God called theosis. It's the process by which you and I come into an awareness of our oneness with God, and you and I are all in this state. The incarnation of Christ reversed the damage that Adam and Eve created. Our parents created that damage. Christ reversed it. And Christ in you becomes the means by which glorious redemption is communicated from person to person and fills the earth with that glory. If you remember the story in Matthew 17, 1 of the transfiguration on the mount, hey, that moment where Jesus was shining, it didn't change Jesus. He's always glorious. But in that moment, the disciples got to see a greater reality that previously was hidden. And Peter said later, we became eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
Now, if you and I are partakers in the divine nature, according to Peter, then there's something more glorious about you and I that maybe we've never seen, but is presently real. John 3, 2, 1 John 3, 2 says, It has not yet appeared what we will be, but we know when he appears, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. Jesus said in John 17, 22, The glory you've given me, Father, I give to them that they may be one just as we are one. And the Apostle Paul tells us that our destiny is in participation with the energy and glory of God in Christ. He says, We all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Ephesians 3.19, so that we would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that we be filled with the fullness of God. It's a present complete reality, yet a process we are growing more aware of. St. Cyril of Alexandria wrote this, When iron is brought into contact with fire, it becomes full of its activity. It takes on the properties of fire, its heat, and its light. While it remains by nature iron, it exerts the power of fire. I love that. May today be a day when you experience the energy of God flowing through you as you receive Jesus Christ by grace through faith. Listen, I'm at the end of my time. You can write to us here at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. You can also listen again at BillVanderbush.com. Go to the podcast link. It'll take you to one singular page where all of the podcasts live. If you're listening on the radio stations up in the Midwest, God bless all of our radio stations. And and we're so grateful to them for continuing to broadcast this message, this gospel, and this ministry throughout the Midwest. Listen, take some time this week and sign up for the Hebrews, Ephesians, and James Bible studies. Let's name your own price. Go verse by verse through the new covenant in Hebrews, James, and Ephesians with me and Pastor Don Wollabaugh. You can sign up at BillVanderbush.com. Thanks so much for listening today. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.